0: Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like him, and live out his mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Happy Easter, everyone. How we doing? Feeling good? You enjoying wearing pastels today? If you did, you're like, I did it. I did it, Trey. If you didn't, I still love you. It's okay. Uh, he is risen. He is risen indeed. I always feel like uh, if you, like, were new or you've never been to church or whatever, you're like, wow, these people are really weird. Like, they do this thing <laughs> where they repeat this phrase. And we had someone in first service who goes here. It was like, yeah, my husband just, like, sprung out of bed and said, he is risen. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was pretty funny. I was like, yep. We do that here on Easter, not every week. Uh, but hey, I'm so glad you're here. Today's a day of celebration. It's a day of hope and restoration and freedom. It's a day that death was arrested. And uh, today is, we get to talk about that. And uh, we, we've been spending this whole week, if you kind of saw the, the video, and then also we had an app where we went through readings each day and prayers and, and tried to engage in just submersing ourselves in this entire week. Because Easter doesn't make sense if you don't understand this whole week that's occurring. In fact, we talked about last Sunday that the four gospel accounts of Jesus, over 30% of all of that is about this week. So uh, to not know what goes on this week, is you're missing a giant chunk of what Jesus came to do and why. So we got to celebrate that, and I, I, like to, I just like to celebrate this. Like Easter is like the Super Bowl for a pastor. You know, you get up here, and you're like, got to bring it. You know what I mean? This is A-game time. Uh, but we've already had several kids in our church come to Jesus this week before Easter. I mean, that's just, give it up. That's amazing. And the coolest thing, I think, personally, is, like, it it didn't happen here on a Sunday morning. It happened with families around the table having conversations and asking questions, and, and, and I'm just, it's just awesome. I don't know. I just, I feel like I don't even need to say anything up here today, but I still will. I'm a pastor. I'll talk, but I have stuff prepared. Um, but I want us to turn to uh, Luke 23 in your Bibles. If you don't have one, we have some in the back. Jerry would love if you put your hand up. Jerry would get you one if you'd like. You can keep it. We got one over here. Uh, we promote thievery in here. You can steal the Bible. If you're using your phones and you don't and you want to be on the same translation as me, I'm in the NET, the Net. You can go there. Luke 23. Now, while you're turning there. Um, You know, you you can talk about a lot of exciting things in Easter today, and and what I want to pinpoint on and what I want to focus on, and I just want to center everything around, is doubt. It's actually doubt that uh, come Easter, a lot of us walk in here, some of us would claim to follow Jesus, some of us wouldn't, and at the end of the day... Like I think a lot of us have doubts about the resurrection or Jesus or what He truly said or if He's real in our lives or why isn't He showing up or why is He allowing these bad things to happen? All these type of things. Whether you have 10% doubt or 90% doubt or 100% doubt, I'm glad you're here. If your mom made you come to church um, on Easter, you're being a good son or daughter. Proud of you. But we have them, right? Like they're there. We have doubts. Like I have doubts. I'm a human. I have doubts, and and we can't avoid them. We live in a world that we know we're growing alongside weeds and there's sin, there's malevolence, there is evil in the world. We got to deal with it. We can't just wake up and act like it doesn't exist. And the Bible speaks to that in this week in a very profound and powerful way. So, we're going to we're going to look at three vignettes of kind of of doubt and how Jesus addresses each one of those in a unique way, and I think you can find yourself in some of these three vignettes. So, the first one is in Luke 23. We're actually going to start before the resurrection. In Luke 23, we're going to start in uh, verse 44. Verse 44. It was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon because the sun's light light failed. The temple curtain was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And after he said this, he breathed his last. Now, focus on the centurion here. Now, when the centurion saw what had happened... He praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had happened and taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. And all those who knew Jesus stood at a distance, and the women who had followed him from Galilee saw these things. The centurion here is our our first vignette. And and what I want you to know is the centurion, this is not his first crucifixion, okay? He's not like a trainee. This is his first one. This is their job. This is another day. They're clocking in. These Roman soldiers were brutal, and it was one of those things where the culture promoted it. So whether you you might show up not being kind and loving and all that, but after a while they kind of iron you out. And Rome had had controlled Jerusalem at this point. They were one of the most powerful forces in the world at this time because of violence and torture and war. And so this centurion, which was common, right, they crucify oftentimes Jews or insurrectionists, and it was a way to publicly display, this is what happens when you get in the way of Rome. And these centurions were a part of doing the bidding of this process, but they also were a part of torturing the people. So, I mean, they're basically executioners. And this centurion is standing there watching Jesus on the cross, and in a moment, I mean, you're reading your your verses here, in a moment, he's like, oh, no. Oh, no, I think we killed the Son of God. In Matthew, that's what it says. We Basically, I think he was, he was the son of God. And so what I want to focus on in this little vignette is what occurs in this split second of a moment where a centurion who believes the world is run by war and violence and murder and execution and torture, what flips in his mind that literally just is like, oh, my gosh. And what flipped in everyone else's minds? Everybody walks home beating their breasts. That's a way of saying it's like what you do when you're just devastated. You're like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe this just happened. Everybody there who thought that was witnessing a spectacle realized, wow, he was who he said he was. So I dug into some, uh, some peer-reviewed journals in the medical community. I do this is for fun. This is what I do in my free time. <laughs> in 2006, in the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine, there was an article published that was trying to determine how Jesus and others died during crucifixion. They had ten different physicians take ten different possibilities and do research. They even did mock crucifixions that were very humane for the people that volunteered. But they were trying to figure out. Like, I know, isn't that fascinating? One of them said, "Like, yeah, we, well, you know, we couldn't really figure it out fully because, you know, you can't really crucify people, and that's good." But most people think most people think in general that he, that Jesus died of asphyxiation, that he suffocated. And you're like, well, how does that work? Well, the way they would pin you on a cross was they'd turn your legs over and your lungs would be basically like fighting against each other. So you had to pull yourself up in order to breathe. And after a while, you became so exhausted and you're literally pulling yourself up through nails in your bones and your hands that you just can't do it and then you suffocate um, and you die. And that was a very common way that that, that it uh, would occur for most parts. And we know that because they reviewed this. And while most people thought that was the prominent idea, one of the physicians disagreed. And he said that it's actually pretty easy to disprove Jesus' death being asphyxiation. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. But their conclusion of this article, I read the whole thing. It says, our conclusion is that at present, there is insufficient evidence to safely state exactly how Jesus or people die in crucifixion at this time. That's interesting because what we know is this Roman seemed to be drawn back by what had occurred. So if we read here, we ask why. Here, here's, here's a tip here. Here's a little clue. In one, in one of the gospel accounts, Jesus, as he's dying, he calls out in a loud voice. He's actually shouting, basically. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And after he said this, he had breathed his last. Jesus did not die suffocating slowly. When you die of suffocation, it's a slow kind of death. And you might like, release a last bit of air but it's, it's a slow, kind of weak death. Jesus did not die in weakness. Jesus died in power. And this centurion had seen lots of these go down. And in that moment, when he saw how he died, everybody's like, oh no. I think he was who he said he was. It says the centurion praised him. So I don't know who you are in this room. If you feel like you are far off from God, you have the wrong ideologies, you're in the wrong circles, you've done the wrong things in your life, but if a murderer who tortures people as his job in a moment can praise God, then you are capable as well. And, and I think Easter is a moment for some of us like that, where you've came in here with baggage and maybe you didn't get to experience uh, Good Friday, which was kind of our, our, our opportunity to lay that baggage down and just sit in attention of it. Um, but I promise you that Jesus is, is meeting not only this vignette, but a few others and he cares deeply about your doubts. And uh, one of the really cool things we did on Good Friday was we all wrote down these things, like whether it was these struggles or these people we can't forgive or these things, questions or things we wrestle with that we ask God and why, God, are you not allowing this or why did you allow this or why are you not doing this or, um, you know, why did you give me this earthly family or these parents or this abusive boyfriend or this, you know, you have all these things. And we wrote them all down and we asked people to take them in the last few days, just kind of pray over them. And, and uh, the, the few that Sarah and I had, it was just like heavy, I mean, it was heavy. It was like, you guys, like, we've experienced pain. Most of us. Um, and it was anonymous, like, you know, um, and you read it, and you're like, man, like, like, I, we just want these people to know, like, they're so worthy, and that that the Good Friday, like, you can't have an Easter without a Good Friday. You can't have an Easter without realizing that there's something going on in our world, and some of it is pain, uh, and some of it's doubt, and some of it's combination. Um, but we want to lay those things at what G- Jesus is doing here, and and so in this instant, we have the person that would be farthest from God in culture, in ideology, in status, praising God. And that's our first one. Now, you might be thinking, like, geez, Trey, like, this is a little, you know, crucifixion. It's supposed to be Easter. Let's talk about the, you know, we're pastels. Like, I'm pretty excited. This is not, I was not like, let's talk about the tomb, which we will. But, like I said, in light of the tomb and the resurrection, Jesus is still already bringing the good news. Like, his last breath is the good news, Right? And people are receiving it up until his last breath. Think about the, just think about like your life. Can you imagine just like preaching the gospel until your last breath? Just like bringing people into the good news. So the second vignette I want to turn to, you can go a little bit to the right in your Bibles, uh, John 20. John 20. This is, so uh, the centurion was outside the circles of Jesus. He was considered a Gentile or a pagan. He was not really an Israelite, didn't have that raising culture We're going to talk about a guy who grew up in the Jewish culture, grew up with Jesus, saw everything he did, and he is uh, informally known as Doubting Thomas, which is just a brutal nickname, right? You're like, what was your nickname in middle school? Doubting Trey. I just doubted everyone. Doubted doubted the cafeteria food. (laughs) Doubted calculus. What even is that? Are you there yet? Did I waste enough time? John 20. John 20, uh, verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Jesus resurrects. He goes and shows himself to the disciples. Thomas was not there for some reason. In verse 25, the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he replied, unless I see the wounds from the nails in his hands and put my finger into the wounds from the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe it. Now, it's fascinating, um, you know, these are, your clo- these are your closest boys, and they're all like, like, this is not an April Fool's joke. You don't joke about this, right? I mean, that's pretty brutal. Hey, we've seen him. No, I don't believe it. I don't believe it I see it. And some of you have been in that boat. You have a friend or a family member or someone who's like, I've had these powerful encounters with God, and he's so real to me. And you're like, well, I haven't seen it. I haven't experienced it. If I don't experience it, I'm not buying it. Because you're a realist, and that's okay. All of these disciples are realists. Thomas, it's an unfortunately bad rep, uh, because a few days before this, all the disciples were the same boat. They're like crying, like, oh, no, what do we do? And then Jesus shows up, and are like, he's a ghost. You know, they don't believe him either. He, so don't be so mean to Thomas, okay? But all of them are realists. They're, they're no different than us today. Like, we watch a video of something, and we're like, yeah, somebody probably edited that, right? That didn't really happen. Like, I need to see it with my own eyes, you ever see those, like, illusions? This is what I, this is aimlessly scrolling on Instagram, of, like, this guy who, like, sits on this, like, pole, but it looks like he's floating. I don't know if you've ever seen that. And I'm, like, this blows my mind, but, like, you know there's something there holding him up. You're, like, you don't just float. doesn't work like that, right? <laughs> and Thomas is, like, you don't just disappear, and then, like, I got to see it. I don't believe it. You know, they weren't there. They all abandoned Jesus. He dies basically, essentially alone. He's, like, I, I want to see it with my hands. Some of you, that is your prayer, and that is your struggle, and that is your doubt, is I just need to see it. Like, I need to feel it. I need to kind of, like, see this reality because in my own life, it doesn't, all these doubts are causing such a pile that I just can't act like they're not there. And I would say personally, like, I'm glad that you're not. Like, like blind faith will ultimately be, will be tumbled down because we have doubts because we're human. We're humans. But Thomas here, I want, I want you to show his heart because some of you have these doubts, but you have the heart of Thomas. There's two other instances uh, in John, where we see Thomas have some lines here, and he does a good job. The first one is Jesus, basically, it seems like he allows his really good friend Lazarus to die, and they're like, well, oh, okay, and he's like, he's dead, and he's sleeping, we're going to go, I'm going to go resurrect him, and and uh, he says, Jesus says, I'm glad for your sake that I was not there, so that you may believe, meaning I'm going to go show you this thing, and it's going to blow your mind. Let us go to him, and so Thomas it's called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go too so that we may die with him. Thinking that like, the weight of following Jesus would, would amount to death, which he's not wrong, and later he did get killed. Some would argue he got speared to death, uh, and he died a martyr. Eleven of the disciples died a martyr, and one died alone. So not good endings for any of them. He, he's willing to die for something that he can stake his whole life on if he can believe it, right? I, at the end of the day, like, I'm not trying to convince you of Jesus because Jesus needs no convincing, But if you're going to die for something, you better know what you believe, right? I mean, if you're going to stake your whole life on it, you better know what you believe. If you're going to bet your house on something, right, you better know, do the research and know, like, this, I, I, trust me, I promise me, I know it, I know it. And Thomas is just like us, like, he's like, I'm willing to die for this thing, but what, the thing he had thought he was willing to die for was just, is incorrect. It was all just a misunderstanding of what they thought Jesus would do. And so the next instance we see him, he's asking questions. Uh, Jesus is saying, basically, hey, don't let your hearts be distressed. You believe in God, also believe in me. And he says, I'm basically preparing a place for you. And when I'm ready, I will come again and take you there with me so that where I am, you may be with me too. And they're confused. They're like, well, you're here. Where are you going? And he says, you know that the way where I'm going. And Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus responds with this famous line. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas is asking good questions, right? Many of you have good questions. We're not trying to shy those away or ignore them or sweep them under the rug. Thomas is willing to die for something that if he feels like he can truly buy into it, he's willing to die for it. We know he did. He also is asking good questions because he's not just going to sit there and take a blind faith. He wants to know. And I think for many of us in a world of the internet, we're like, I need to, I need to see this. I need to feel it. I need to experience it. And Thomas actually gets exactly what he asks for. Uh, back in um, uh, Luke, it says, uh, or sorry, John, eight days later, so Thomas is sitting in this tension for eight days. That's a pretty long time. Jesus resurrects. He reveals himself to the 11. Eight days later, they were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. And uh, this is great. This is just a full of miracles. Although the doors were locked, Jesus comes in and stands among them. You're like, okay. Ghost time, right? Again. Like, I just love that. It's like a slight, like, flex. Like, I don't need to use doors. I'm fine. And, and then they're like, oh, he's a ghost, right? And they're scared. And what does Jesus say? Hey, peace be with you, right? Like, tr- just, you're fine. Just trust me. And then what does he do? He, he goes to Thomas, which, like, there's no collusion here. It's not like Thomas is, like, like they had told Jesus, hey, when you come back in eight days, like, this is the thing Thomas wants you to do. What does he do? He goes right to Thomas, and he says the exact things that Thomas had said. He said, Put your finger here and examine my hands. Put your finger through the nail holes in my hand. Extend your hand and put it into my side. Do not continue in your unbelief, but believe. And this beautiful painting, it's called The Incredibility, which is the unwillingness to believe of St. Thomas by Caravaggio. It's Italian. This beautiful painting depicts just the, like the, the intensity of this, right? Like, hey, everything you need, it's right here. Go ahead. Do it. I dare you. And these other disciples are like, Oh, I kind of want to see too. Like, I, I didn't get to do that. Like, I, you know, they're all like, I love, the, I love the, and, and here's the thing. I love, what I love about Caravaggio is he doesn't pull any punches. He has some other paintings and he's like, no, no, I'm going to have a, just a gaping wound where Jesus was stabbed because remember Jesus, most uh, people that would, on crucifixion would take too long to die and if it was over the Sabbath day, they had to break their knees so then they would suffocate because they couldn't elevate themselves and that way they didn't have to bury them on the Sabbath because they didn't want to disobey the Sabbath but they'd murder people, so. So Jesus, I know, right? You're like, so Jesus dies before the Sabbath. So they stab him to make sure he's dead. And what comes out is a certain amount of fluids and things, which would actually affirm a medical community's understanding of how he died uh, in, in this miracle that occurs. And so he dies, and I love how he's like, yeah, like, I still have the wounds. I'm like, I'm not just perfect Jesus. Like, here, look, these are still here, right? I carry these wounds for you. And, 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 and Thomas sticks his finger in the wound, right? It's like, tis but a flesh wound, right? You know? But, I mean, can you imagine? Like, if I got, and you're like, let me just make sure. And you, Jesus gives him everything he needs. And what is his response in verse 28? My Lord and my God. The centurion, he is the Son of God. Thomas, my Lord and my God. Now, at this point, you're probably like, okay, cool. Two people who got to see a physical manifestation of the power of Jesus, right? You're like, I still haven't gotten that, tray. When are you, you, when you, when you circling to me, you know? What is Jesus' next line after he does this? He says to him in verse 29, Have you believed because you have seen me? He's asking him, and then he responds, Blessed are the people who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is quite aware of this belief that it, that it transcends a physical reality. See, a lot of times we, we gauge spiritual faith in two categories. We, we gauge it in intellectualism. If we can understand the right points, if we can argue them, if we can philosophically wrap our brains around God and, and problem of evil and all these type of things, or subjective experience. Like, we've experienced this, like, crazy Holy Spirit moment or we saw radical healing or, you know, or whatever, and we, we try to elevate these, and it's just constant game. Some people value this, some people value this, some people value in between. Jesus will hit all of these, and... At the end of the day, Thomas proclaims, my Lord, my God, the religious leaders, they saw all of his healings and they didn't believe him. Judas saw everything and betrayed him. Peter runs away because he's like, I will die for you. And then a little girl asks him questions and he runs away. <laughs> right? The only people who were there at Jesus' death was, and I said this on Friday, it was women. Right? The, only people, the first people who found Jesus, women. Right? Clearly women got it going on. Okay? <laughs> okay? Some of you needed to hear that if you're married. And, <laughs> I mean, they're just blathering around. Like, what is it? Is it both? Is it, you know, what is it? And, and this tension I want you to sit in because some of you are still frustrated. You're like, I haven't seen this physical reality. And you're no different than the entire Bible. If you read the entire Old Testament, you have, here's a pattern. The Israelites, well, I don't know if God's really going to be with us, even though he led us out from the powerful Egyptians. But we're going to keep following this giant pillar in the sky at night. But I don't know if he's real, but there's a giant fire cloud that we're following at night. <laughs> could be, you know, could be a natural disaster. I don't know, right? Could be, could be like a gender reveal gone wrong, right? A fire, right? <laughs> Who knows? And they, they follow it, and then they, they get to camp, and God's like, hey, hold on a second. I'm going to go talk to Moses, give you some rules. Just give me like, you know, a few hours, right? What happens? Hey, let's take all the riches that God gave us, and let's melt them all down, and let's make an animal that worships another god that we had just left in Egypt. Come on. Moses comes down and he just, you know, oh, are you kidding me? And he breaks the tablets. There's like 50 stories of that. I mean, this is the Old Testament. Is People are prone to doubt. We're prone to wonder. And there is this tension of doubt that, that Satan is eating people alive in. And we're here to see that Jesus is, is aware of that. In fact, if you look at like Good Friday and we talk about it, he knows exactly how you feel because he was misunderstood. He was betrayed. He was alone. He was physically tortured. And he's dealing with all of that and grief and loss all at the same time. He does that because he's saying anything you're willing to go through, I understand. You're not alone in your doubts. Because you doubt, I'm not like pushing you away. Well, get your stuff together and then you can come, right? No, no, no. Thomas, come here. Come here. Come here. Stick your finger in my side. And he says, those who can believe without seeing are blessed. And I want us to capitalize on that. John closes his whole book saying, Jesus performed many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He's like, look, there's plenty more. I had to condense it down. But these are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name, that we get life from this belief, the miracles, the signs, the book of Acts after this is all about the Spirit's power. We're covering that next week for several weeks. It's the Spirit working in us and cultivating this, this reality. So Easter is is hope. It is restoration. And our doubts can be laid at the feet of Jesus in this tension. In fact, that's what we did on Good Friday. And, and I believe that God will, re, will meet you where you are in prayer and in yearning that he will meet you there. And, and we believe this because this is part of the Christian faith is that we believe not always knowing what God has done. But he, he, uh, he, he I think it's, it's, it's encouraging to know that at the end of the day that Jesus, regardless of your doubt, regardless of whatever, he has finished what needed to be finished. When he dies, he says, it is completed. He says, die," which is a Greek word. It means it is finished, or it is accomplished, or it is ended. This is what you would stamp on a loan document that you owed the temple when you didn't, couldn't pay your taxes or whatever. Or They would stamp that when it was done and you were free. right? It is finished. Even your doubts, they're finished. And though they, you have them, though they're there, Jesus is willing to reconcile, saying, hey, I get it. I understand, I'm here, and let me, let me reveal myself to you. And it might be intellectually, it might be subjectively, it might be both. And so we're going to talk about the third one in, in a moment, but before we get there, I want you to sit in the tension of this because it's, for many of us, it's, it's a really hard struggle. I want to, I want to invite the band up um, as I read this last quote. This is by A.W. Tozer. He says, If man had his way, the plan of redemption would be an endless and bloody conflict which is Rome. In reality, salvation was bought not by Jesus' fist, but by his nail-pierced hands. Not by muscle, but by love. Not by vengeance, but by forgiveness. Not by force, but by sacrifice. Jesus Christ, our Lord, surrendered in order that he might win. He destroyed his enemies by dying for them and conquered death by allowing death to conquer him. And so as we sit in this tension, we sang this song we're about to sing. It's called... Um, Too Good to Not Believe. And we sang this on Good Friday, and the song is about a prayer and a heart and a yearning as a community for the things that God can do in our lives, that as a church we've seen these things and we want want to see them in our lives. And so as we, we sing this again, some of you still are like, I don't know, right? I don't know, we're not done yet, but as we sing it, this is an opportunity for us to give the Lord this trust and this belief in what he's capable of doing. So I'd ask for you to stand and we'll sing this together. As we, as we sing that and you know, we sit in the tension of, of, of these things that we want to see or that we have seen, uh, this third vignette might be for you if you're still, still in that, that tense moment. Um, Peter writes a letter, and at the beginning of it, he just talks about how like, you know, part of following Jesus is experiencing trials and suffering and, and having these doubts and hardship. And he says, that, he says this verse that I want us to keep a hold of. He says, you have not seen him, but you love him. You do not see him now, but you believe in him. And so you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy because uh, you are attaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's what it means to follow Jesus in that. And, and I think about, you know, he wants life in his name for us that um, we rejoice in this. And so as I, I want to I close with this third vignette. And as we do this, I think it helps put together this kind of whole thing you see, when Jesus uh, resurrects, there's still a few disciples, not of the 12, but of that followed him holistically. And they start leaving. They're walking on the road to Emmaus. Maybe you've read this story. It's in Luke 24. And they're, like, doubting it. They're leaving. They're going to go, you know, whatever. Process or live life. or. And they're talking about all that had happened. And when they're walking, it says that Jesus himself approached and began to accompany them on the road. It was like, you know, Emmaus was seven miles from Jerusalem on the road. And, and, and he's asking them, like, what's going on? And Let's see. Well, the things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, because they didn't recognize him, they replied, A man who, with his powerful deeds and words, proved to be a prophet before God and all people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Not only this, but it is now the third day since these things happened. Furthermore, some women of the group amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find a body, they came back and said they had seen a vision of angels, and they had said that he was alive. And then some of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had sent but they did not see him. They have the, these moments that are so clear like where is Jesus? They had a vision. Oh, like everyone's bleeding. We're just, no. Like I just, I can't. I just, we're going to leave. Like we just, this is not the way we thought it would be in our heads. We just had it so specific. And Jesus knew this, right? Like they, they're wanting this, you know, they think they want this, this freedom. They, they knew, they knew the, the answers. And so what does Jesus do in verse 25? He says to them, you foolish people, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. He gave them the best theology class that you could ever have from the man himself. And you think, oh, great, they believe. No, they still don't. Intellectual experience, all of this, still not enough for these, for these two guys. So as they approached the village where they were going, Jesus acted as though he was going to go farther. They urged him to stay with us. Stay with us. Relationship. Come, stay with us. It was getting towards evening, so he stays with them. And I love this. No matter of theology or intellectualism, they, they knew it all. Right? They knew the, they, they, they had been, it had been explained to all of them. Their hearts were still resistant. And do you know what made them believe? Do you know what moment made them believe? When they had taken their place at the table with him, he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them at this point. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished out of their sight, and they said to each other, Did our hearts not burn within us? When he was speaking with us on the road while he was explaining the scriptures to us, Does your heart not burn in a certain way? And there's still just this area that you just can't reconcile. And what does Jesus do to defeat that? It's relationship. The table was one of the most powerful and intimate things in this culture. It still is today. If you hate somebody, have more for dinner. You won't hate them after. I mean it. You you hear about their life, you have compassion for their hurt, for the reasons the way they are, and, and vice versa. The table was in essence the reminder that something must die in order for you to live. Whether it's plants or meat, animals, something must die to nourish and give you life to continually survive. The table was the place where you did that. And Jesus on his last night breaks bread and he says, Look, we've been eating together a lot. I guarantee they had plenty of meals with plenty of teachings. And he says, I'm going to accommodate all of this. When you gather to feed yourself to live, remember that I am doing something much greater than the temporary sustenance of bread. That my body is bread and my my blood uh, is the juice and that when you take that, remind yourself there's something far greater than what's going on right here. And in this moment, these disciples recognized it because the relationship, the intimacy between them their eyes are open. And what's awesome is they it says they got up at the very next hour, they returned to Jerusalem, they found the eleven disciples and those gathered with him, and saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. And then Jesus comes in and then he says, Peace be with you, like we talked about. This third vignette are people who have heard all the things, have seen all the miracles, and still don't believe. And Jesus says, I invite you into relationship. Just trust me. And your heart's burning will be fulfilled. And so as we, we transition into this time of reflection, we do this every Sunday. We offer a couple different things. You can just sit and totally reflect and on your own. Um, if, you, if you feel like, man, I, I want to partake in this. Like I want to, I want this to become real. I want relationship. We have the bread and the cup back there. And we're going to bring one up here for you to take. And that is a reminder. In a, in a, you, are, you are physically putting your body over what you believe by taking this. There's nothing special about the juice of the bread. If you're gluten-free, we have some in the far back as well. But it's a reminder of a sacrifice. And then the last thing is we have people in the back who would love to pray for you. They're here just to pray for you. They've been praying for you. And if this is something you want to take a next step, a first step, they're there to help pray with you, and they just want to be on your team. It can be totally anonymous. If you're worried, they'd love to pray for you. And we're going to give you some space here. The relationship is the key. It is the gospel. It is the good news. The intimacy with Jesus can be found. And that these things, the objective reality, the subjective experience, they're important and they matter and they va- they're valuable. But at the end of the day, the intimacy that Jesus seeks for us is our belief. That he died because we needed to be saved. So I want to invite you at this time. You can participate in any of the three of those. And then the band's going to welcome us in a little bit for one more song. So you can you can uh, just reflect as you feel led. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.